Do you know what Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and Steve Jobs have in common? They all play for the Mets. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. Today on the show, is it possible to advance in an industry career without a PhD? Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 46. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we will discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Good evening, Josh. Or good morning, whenever you happen to be listening to this. A good evening. That was super creepy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we are uh, in some kind of very, mood tonight. Very loopy. Yeah, maybe it is this Hopnosh IPA that I have in front of me. It has to be. Have you had the Hopnosh before? I've never had it. This is a cool label, though. This is really kind of got a retro art thing going on. Yeah, let me tell you where I picked this up. There's a gas station by my house. Oh, wow. It okay. has more types of beer. And and I went the other day to buy like a gallon of milk. No milk. But it's a it's row upon row of micro brews. The other day they had a micro brew tasting at a gas station. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Great well, place to have near your house. Yeah, well this is a really good one. I I'm enjoying this. So this comes from Utah and it's and I'm not, somebody's got to write to me to tell me how to say this. Is this our first Utah beer? I know we have some Utah uh, listeners. I don't know if it's our first Utah beer. You into brewing? You in, I don't know how to say it, but there's a when mountain. I, it's a mountain range I've never heard of. Yeah, when I first saw it, I first read it as Unita, but you're right, it's Uinta. Yeah, I have been saying Unita for years now. Unita what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is good. This has that Dan, that floral hoppy taste that I really enjoy. Well, their website says that it is so big on hop character that it is literally a hoppy snack. I don't know if well, I guess literally it's hoppy. It's not really a snack. It's figuratively. You know, what's the origin of the word nosh? Uh, like you hear that if you want to eat, right? And you, I'm going to yeah, nosh. What, is, what does that mean? Yeah. Where does that come from? Hipsters? <laughs> Maybe so. Look that up for next week, Dan. Okay, I'm on it. It also rhymes with my name. <laughs> nosh, Josh Nosh. <laughs> that could be your new restaurant. We should probably get onto the actual show here. Why don't we do that, Dan? I'm excited. Um, we have a listener question this week. Excellent. This one comes from Julia. Dear Dan and Josh, I'm someone who is considering applying to grad school, and I'm a big fan of your podcast. Your honesty and advice about grad school experience have helped me greatly in considering this next big step. I've been out of undergrad for two years working as a research associate at a biotech startup. I'm surrounded by optimism for the future of our product and the growth of the company, and it's exciting to imagine a future without ever going back to school. I'm not alone here. More and more college grads are joining companies out of college and taking time off before getting degrees. What is new is that many people I encounter who have made this decision have a negative view of academia and do not want to go back to school. They are learning and solving scientific problems at a rapid pace on the job. Why re-enter the slog of academia? On the other hand, though managers at my company tell me there is opportunity for those without PhDs to grow and have a significant role in the company, the managers often have PhDs. I have observed these companies continuing to preference PhDs in the hiring process. The question is, is there opportunity for growth and achievement for the many of us who have chosen not to return to school? Or does the PhD still represent a unique skill set that cannot be achieved outside of academia? It would be great if your podcast could offer some advice on discussion for people like me who are considering whether or not to enter a PhD program. This is exactly the kind of thing we talk about, Julia. Thank you. Yeah, this is a great question. And I can't help but think 
it is because of listening to our podcast that she's really second guessing going back to grad school. She says that that there's the sense around her office that going back is a terrible thing. It's a, she refers to it as a slog and people are saying, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to go back there. So they all listen to our podcast. Yeah, well, they listen to my <laughs> half of it. We're like, oh, good thing I got out of there. Oh, man. You know, this this is a fantastic question. And you know, the best time to really ponder whether or not grad school is for you is before. Year five. <laughs> no, no, before no, year three? you start grad school. Year two? <laughs> Can I at least get year two, please? No. Okay. Yeah, um, before is probably better. So, Julie, I'm glad I'm glad you're thinking about it. I'm glad you're seeking advice. So, let's talk about this, Dan. Let's look at some of these questions. So, Julia seems to, one, I mean, it stands out to me that she really likes her job currently, but she has concerns about the future and her ability to advance in this company. I love hearing about people in their jobs that have optimism for the future of the product and growth of the company. That feels good. That feels really good. Um you're on a fast track. Things are happening. They're working. Um, you're working with people that, that are smart. She talks about people solving problems, um, a rapid pace. It sounds like an exciting place to work. Yeah, it really does. So, okay. So, Dan, let's let's take one of these questions. So, she asked, does the PhD represent a unique skill set that cannot be achieved outside of academia? So, is there some magic, some magical transformation that occurs by being a graduate student, you get that piece of paper and suddenly you possess some insight, wisdom, or skill that no one else has. Um, no. Okay, well. I mean. It's, <laughs> clearly not. No, clearly I mean, I, you can get experiences that make you a scientist in many places. Now, a university happens to be one that is designed to give you those experiences, but certainly you can become a scientist in an industrial setting. I agree. I mean, this, so what I've always told, this is a little bit of a different question, but, you know, when I think about what does, what do you get from graduate school? You know, what's the point of graduate school? Crippling debt. <laughs> no, actually. Okay, great. That is an advantage of graduate school is there is no debt. Um, Depends on how you live, Josh. Well, okay, that's true, but not from paying for school. But, you know, th- what graduate school gets you is certainly not Technical ability, that's not usually what you take with you. You're not trained. I learned to be a surgeon and I go on and get a surgeon job. You know, most people leave graduate school and they don't ever do the specific things they were doing day in and day out as a graduate student. So what you're actually, what that PhD signifies is that you have learned how to identify problems and think about the solution. So maybe to identify the right question to solve a problem um, and then to figure out what you need to do to to answer that question, which can be broadly applied elsewhere. So I guess the question here is, can you get that type of critical thinking, critical analysis training elsewhere? I think you can. I think unequivocally you can learn those skills outside of graduate school. Is that is that dangerous? You know what, Dan? I totally agree with you. So I guess my question is, thinking about Julia's situation, so as she looks around, she feels like, she loves where she's working. She's learning a lot. She's growing in many ways that maybe a graduate student would grow. She even claims this fast pace that she's working in has been really formative for her. But when she talks to her managers, they say, oh, yeah, of course you can advance without a PhD. But then she looks at what's actually happening, and she's seeing very few people without the degree getting these higher-level positions. So this is not at all about can you learn to do research outside of university? This is more about will people 
recognize your abilities if you don't have three letters after your name. Yeah, and I have a theory on this, Stan. What's your theory, Josh? My theory is that this has a lot to do with the number of PhDs who are out there. Millions. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a lot. I yeah, I mean, I million. think you have a job opening and people apply and there are lots of people with PhDs or even postdoctoral experience. Why not hire them? Uh, so my grandma, this is a story about my grandma. I don't often tell stories about my grandma on the show, but my grandma was a lab tech. Is that right? Yeah. Where in, a bio, in a biochemistry lab. No way. Yeah. At Virginia Tech University. And funny thing was, I didn't know that really. I didn't really appreciate what my grandma did until I started working in the research lab and we had a conversation and she started talking to me about running these Sanger sequencing gels. And suddenly I'm having this conversation with my, you know, 75, 80 year old grandma about <laughs> biochemistry and genetics. That's incredible. But the interesting thing was... My grandma played cards. But. <laughs> I had another grandma who was a big bridge fan. Okay, there but, you go. Uh, but anyway, the interesting thing was my grandma just had a high school degree. And in those days, you could get a job. And she was a lab technician and a lab manager. Really, she was sort of the key longstanding person who was with this PI for probably about 20 years and kept the lab running. She trained grad students and postdocs. With just a high school degree, but at the time, you could get those jobs. You with could be high trained to do that job. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I guess what that says to me is one difference between now and then. Obviously, someone with a high school degree would never get a lab manager position in a lab. Is it because there aren't people who are smart enough to do the job with high school degrees? No, there's just plenty of people with college degrees. So This, this is the problem with credentials, and we, we talk about this a lot. It's a shortcut. It's a mental shortcut to say this person has taken these 15 steps and I don't have to do the hard work of figuring out whether they're smart or not because now they've got a degree from this university and, you know, it's it's easier for me to just say, I'm going to look for this. I'm going to screen for a PhD and call it a day. Um, and, and maybe after you've been through that PhD program, you have a certain way of talking about your research or you have more confidence because you believe that internally that that PhD means something. And so maybe you're more likely to get that job. But but it is a bias, I think. It doesn't mean that they're not really intelligent people with great experiences that don't have that degree. Yeah. But that being said, it is a real thing. I have to say that it is a real thing. I've got a PhD in cell and molecular physiology. I work at a software company. I work with a guy who has an astrophysics PhD and a civil engineering PhD. And when people talk to us, they say, you know, like, oh, so-and-so has a PhD. Nobody ever asks me what my PhD is in and how unrelated it is to the work I do every day, but I've got a PhD. And people do care. For some reason, they care. Yeah, so you're saying this from your point of view in the industry world. I mean, your company represents this. Remark. I have a you PhD in an unrelated field, but it's still a PhD, and, and people respect it. You know, they have their own bias, and I'm willing to exploit that. Sure. I mean, why wouldn't you? But would you say your PhD helped you get the position that you got? I think it's helped me get the last two positions I've had, certainly. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, because it's not, it's not in that field. But um, again, we have this sense about a PhD means that you accomplish these set of things. And, and so, I don't know, it, it, it has real sway. And I can't make that not true. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hmm. Yeah, so, <laughs> just drop the mic and walk out, huh? So it seems like what we're coming to is, should it matter? No. So if, so if we just ask the question, do you need a PhD to learn critical thinking skills, to gain the skills and knowledge to advance and 
in these higher level positions in companies? No, of course not. You can gain those things many other places. But in reality, you're going to have a much smoother transition moving up with a PhD. Can it be done without the PhD? Absolutely. But it probably, I would think, probably is going to require you to spend a lot more time on your network. Definitely. Um, You're going to have to know the right people at the right time who, in spite of not having a PhD, because what you said I think is true, Dan, the PhD on the application in some ways allows the hiring people to be a little lazier. Of course. If I have two applicants, they have the same amount of experience and one has a PhD, that's the one I go with. Yeah, so you might have to rely more on positions that are being hired by people you have worked with directly who can vouch for your work um, without just seeing what's on your, your CV or your resume. That's too bad, but maybe that is the reality. Yeah, now, now let's put our caveats on here. Um, I want to say something positive about the university training experience, and, and I don't know enough about industry to know whether this is true, but I think one thing that you do get by doing your own PhD dissertation research product is a level of independence. So you are ideating, you are uh, doing the research, you are um, following up with colleagues in the field, you are writing up your findings, and I think you're doing a lot of this in a self-directed way. So I don't know what industry is like. I don't know if you get to like run wild with a project that you came up with. Uh, a lot of us didn't actually come up with our own projects, but but we started with a seed and then you kind of branch out as you go. If if industry is giving you that level of independence, then I think the two can be equivalent. If industry is not giving you that level of independence, then I think there is something to be said for a self-directed research program. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing that came to mind too is if you do end up going the PhD route, you, know, you mentioned the slog of academia, which I absolutely know what you're talking about. I think that can exist, especially if you're coming from this sort of fast-paced, product-minded industry world. But not all labs are created equal. What you probably want to look for are labs that are a little more entrepreneurial, a lot more industry-esque in practice. And those do exist. I know, you know, at my university, there are some pretty big high power labs where the PIs have also spun these startup companies um, where their lab does function a little more like, like an industry atmosphere. And a lot of people from those labs who are really productive end up transitioning into the company after they graduate with their PhD. So you might want to look for, there are environments like that. And that's something you might want to keep in mind as you explore schools is look at programs where there are some faculty who are doing more industry-like research, more product-minded research. Yeah, take a look on the websites for something called Technology Transfer, Tech Transfer. These are offices at the major universities that help research labs spin their findings into patents and companies and things like that. So there's, you know, if your university is doing a lot of research, then there should be a tech transfer office that's helping them turn them into companies. And the people who are, are really familiar with um, those tech transfer offices, the scientists that are very familiar, those are the, probably the ones that you want if you want uh, an industry-focused lab. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, don't lose sight of the fact of if your goals really are to, to stay in industry long-term and you do come to the conclusion you need the PhD to ultimately advance to where you want to be, be laser focused when you start graduate school. Be very upfront about, I want to do industry. There are schools and programs out there that provide a lot of opportunity to build your network and grow in industry training and industry skills. And you can 
pair yourself with other students who have those similar goals. And, you know, you might find that your graduate training experience uh, is a lot more rich than, than you might think otherwise. Because, you know, one thing I've noticed is the, the culture has changed for PhD students now, even from when I was a graduate student not that long ago. A lot of programs, a lot of schools have wised up quite a bit that, hey, not all graduate students want to be PIs someday. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Also, they can't, even if they did want to. <laughs> That's a good bad. point. But it wasn't that long ago that, yeah, I mean, graduate schools really had this expectation that all of their students would go on to be PIs, and that's how they were trained. But those days, at least in a lot of places, are starting to be passed. And there are schools out there that do a great job of acknowledging that students want to do other things. And so if industry is your thing, look for schools that also are in an environment where there's a lot of industry going on, you know, places like Boston, like San Francisco, really like here in Central North Carolina with the Research Triangle Park. There are these areas where industry and the university are side by side. And so there are a lot more opportunities in places like that for you to build your industry network and get those experiences while you're a grad student. Let me add one one more thing about the training that you're getting in grad school. You know what you're not being trained to do? We've talked about this before. You're not being trained to manage people. And I mm-hmm. find it really fascinating that in your organization, the people who are being hired as managers are people who have had probably <laughs> zero management training. And it is not like coming out of lab and, and now working at a company and having people work for me. It is a huge transition. Mm -hmm. It is not a thing that you just, I mean, there are probably people who just are naturals at it, but but it's hard work and it's a really different skill set. So if you are advancing through industry and able to get that experience, you may actually be a better candidate um, whether or not they recognize it. That's right. And you know, I want to leave you with one thing. And when I was reading your question and, and thinking a little bit about it, the thing that first popped into my mind was, was this, Dan, and I'll ask you this question. Do you know what Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and Steve Jobs have in common? Besides having a bazillion dollars. They all play for the Mets. No, none of them even finished college. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could go on for hours about the the whole notion that everybody's got to go to college to have a job. I've met extremely talented people who are great at their jobs who had high school degrees. Yeah. So I think those (laughs) very unique examples maybe are proof that, of course, you don't need any degree to achieve in our culture and in our society. But sometimes, unfortunately, the way the environment is laid out, it can help. Hopefully a semi-satisfying answer. If you decide to go back to school, please uh, write to us. Let us know. If you decide not to, let us know that too. It's always fun to follow up with people who, who write in and find out what happened. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, actually, I said I had one more thing, but this is really my last thing. And this is what I tell students all the time. And I'll tell you, you're doing a great thing. You're gathering advice. But remember, at the end of the day, it's your decision. You have to live with whatever you do. So you decide what you want to do and what's best for you. And yeah. So to summarize, there is a bias about PhDs. Um, and it's a positive bias for some reason, right? And if you do decide to go back, make sure you find a program that actually matches your goals. Um, but the reality is you can get a lot of great experiences in industry and you can get a lot of experiences in industry that you cannot get in a university uh, research lab. That's right. Julia, thanks for writing in and good luck to you. Good luck, Julia. And Josh, good luck to you with this week's etymology puzzle. Okay. I've been thinking about it. Lay it on me. It's a tough one. It's possible to get this type of infection in the very building where they care for diseases. Think you know the answer, Josh? I do think I know the answer. And 
What do you think the answer is? So in my microbiology days, I would often go to talks where people would study things like MRSA. Yeah, which bad be, one. Which can often be, or Tran- C. Transmitted in hospitals, yeah, yeah. Or Clostridium difficile, also transmitted in hospitals, and these are nosocomial infections. That's right. Now, you notice that in the clue, I didn't say hospitals. I said the building where they care for diseases. Hmm. Want to take a guess about what nosocomial means? This may be completely off base, Dan, but when I see comial, I think of the Spanish word comida, which means food. <laughs> Hopefully it's not food. <laughs> okay. Comio is Greek to care for, and nosos is disease. You've, you've seen nosos in some other places, I think, like <laughs> zoonosis. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so disease is tr- transmitted by animals. Yep. Um, so anyway, nosocomial, and in the 17th century... Nosocom was what they called hospitals. So hmm. it's a place to care for diseases, yeah. nosocom. Very Nosocomial. Cool. So did the helicopter landing strip have a big N on it instead of an H for nosocom? In the 17th century? Yeah. The 17th century <laughs> helicopter landing spot? Yeah. Probably. They probably, had, they probably had like a little crank. <laughs> it was a different time then. Cool. That was cool, Dan. So what do you have for this week? Okay. This week's clue is... This black dung beetle was considered sacred by ancient Egyptians. Gems cut in the beetle shape are also known by the same name. Remember, we're looking for a scientific word described by the clue. Once you get it, you'll find the literal meaning of that science word as a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com, and I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. And a dung beetle. Still alive? I don't know. Just the If it lasts that long. And Dan, we had a puzzle winner this week. Congratulations to Ursula at the University of Michigan. Thanks for playing. All right, Dan, this was a cool show. Uh, Julia, thanks so much for writing in. We love to get listener questions. So if you've got something you'd like for us to talk about on the show, please email it to us, podcast at hellophd.com, or you can send us a tweet at hellophd. We also have a Facebook page. You can get in touch with us that way. People should tweet us more. I like tweets. Yeah, we love getting tweets. Short, sweet, to the point. Hey, Dan, something else. Uh, you send these Amazon gift cards. Do you buy a lot of stuff on Amazon? I do. Yeah, I do too. Uh, are you out there and you've been thinking, how can I support the show? Often I think that. But I don't really want to give them any of my money. I support by coming here every week. <laughs> yes, you do. And talking into a microphone. If you want to support the show, you can do that. We actually have an Amazon banner on our website. If you're buying something from Amazon... You can click through and it'll give a little love to Hello PhD. Help us uh, buy the beers. Awesome. And if you have an ad blocker, you can't. I actually tried to buy something from Amazon the other day and I thought, I'm going to click through the banner. And then I thought, oh, Dan must have taken that banner down. And I realized it's because I have an ad blocker. So I made an exception for HelloPhD.com. Always an exception. All right, Josh. Well, great episode. Hopefully you're enjoying your hop nosh. This has been a great hoppy snack, Dan. Thank you. A for delicious hoppy snack. My pleasure. And uh, I'll head back to the gas station. Sounds good. How's your baby? Great. Good. We'll see you next week. See you next week.